In 1986, Soviet physicist Gennady Zakharov, while working for the UN, bought classified documents on a US Air Force jet engine. We bought these documents from a defense subcontractor. His name was Leek Bogey. I had to look up pronunciations for all of these names. He bought these, these documents from this defense subcontractor, Bogey. Well, unfortunately for Zakharov, Bogey was working with the FBI. And so Zakharov was caught buying these documents red-handed. Well, three days later, after Zakharov's arrest, in Moscow, American journalist Nicholas Daniloff was arrested and charged with espionage. They were calling him a spy. It's kind of convenient, isn't it? These were, at the end of the day, trumped up charges. They were bogus. <clears throat> now, I'm no expert in a prisoner exchanges. I imagine it's a very complicated process. So I don't, I don't know how to make the best decisions in these circumstances. But here it's pretty clear who was guilty and who was innocent. Right? We're still in 86 in the Cold War. We caught one of their guys fair and square. Then they just scoop up, right? an American journalist and says, ah, he's a spy. What are you gonna do now, America? Well, we had to make an exchange. Even though Zakharov was guilty, his arrest was not worth Nicholas Danilov's unjust arrest and imprisonment. We had to exchange the guilty for the innocent. In our text this morning, we witness a prisoner exchange, an exchange of an innocent man and a guilty man. But this prisoner exchange does not go as one would expect. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27 this morning. I'm going to invite Dan Miley to come up and to read our text. The text this morning comes from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, beginning with the 27th chapter, the 15th verse. This is the word of the Lord. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. 
Now the chief priests and the elders then now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, "Which of the two do you want me to release for you?" And they said, "Barabbas." Pilate said to them, "Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ?" They all said, "Let him be crucified." And he said, "Why? What evil has he done?" But they shouted all the more, "Let him be crucified." So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he, he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray this morning and ask for the Spirit's assistance as we have just heard the word. Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts and our minds that we may hear your word and in hearing it, receive it for the glory of your holy name, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> right, so... As we remember last week, Pilate just had a conversation with Jesus. Pilate, he's a, a Roman official, right? A governor over this area of land, over Judea. And so he's dealing with the Jews on this day. They brought Jesus to him. And, uh, you know, he's had this conversation with Jesus in which Jesus refuses to defend himself. But Pilate knows he can tell, right? He was astonished. He was amazed at the end of their conversation. Why? Because he knew Jesus was innocent. He could tell. He could see it. Jesus was innocent. Well, being that it's the Passover time and Pilate being a you know, benevolent governor, you know, he, he had a custom that he would release to the people a prisoner. So he comes up with a plan. He's going to offer a prisoner exchange. We go and we read, and they had then a notorious prisoner, Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Barabbas. He was a notorious man. He was well known. In other gospels, we get a little bit more information about him that he was a part of a, a rebellion, an insurrection to, you know, attempt to overthrow the current authorities. And on top of that, he was at the very least implicit in murder, or at the worst, the one who committed the murder himself. There's no confusion about Barabbas. He's a notorious man. He's a guilty man. His acts were public and his reputation undeniable. On the other hand, we have Jesus. Jesus has an even more 
undeniable reputation. He's considered by many of his own people to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. And after three years of a peaceful ministry, it's very easy and very clear to see that Jesus is innocent. That's his reputation. Jesus was innocent. So Pilate, you know, he offers this, offers this up to the people. And he kind of knows what's up. He sort of knows what's going on. He looks below the surface, right? He knows what's going on with the religious leaders. We read, for he knew that it was out of envy that they delivered him up. Out of envy. The Jewish Leaders, the religious leaders were dissatisfied with the kind of Messiah Jesus was turning out to be, right? They expected a highly political Messiah, right? Like, forget the insurrection and rebellion that that Barabbas attempted. They were looking for a Messiah who was really going to ratchet it up, who was really going to overthrow the governing authorities, who's going to set them free from Roman captivity, who would lead them in the greatest rebellion of all. But three years into Jesus's ministries really proved that that was not his plan. That was not his design. And many people followed him. So the religious leaders are envious because that wasn't their plan. So they hated him. So Pilate gives these options. We understand the motive of the religious leaders in the background. But we also see that there are a couple of influencing voices happening during the deliberations concerning this prisoner exchange. First, Pilate's wife sent him a message. We read, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Interestingly enough, Pilate's wife has actually kind of gone down in history for being an advocate for Jesus in this moment. She's actually canonized as a saint in many Eastern Christian traditions. Her conversion to Christianity is even recorded, spoken of as early as the third century. But what's happening here, right? She has this dream, have nothing to do with that righteous man. It's interesting, this word righteous gets translated three different ways in different translations. Righteous, just, innocent. Jesus is righteous, he's just, he's innocent. Have nothing to do with that righteous, just, innocent man. Let him go free. So Pilate just gets his own suspicions, his own ideas confirmed by his wife. If you're a husband, how often does your wife confirm? You're like, yeah, oh, yes, yes, you're absolutely right, right? Pilate in this moment is like, yes, Claudia, you are absolutely right. Let him go. She said, Jesus is innocent. 
But there were other more nefarious conversations happening in the background as well. We read, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The religious leaders are taking advantage of this of the mob mentality that's happening right now. Right? The passions are running high. No one is really thinking rationally about this decision. And the religious leaders say, "Hey, guys, let's let Barabbas go so that we can destroy Jesus." At the end of this deliberation, the truth of the matter is plain. Guilty Barabbas should be exchanged for innocent Jesus. Because Jesus has done nothing wrong. But Barabbas has been a part of rebellion and murder. The guilty should not go free while the innocent suffer. But we can't forget, at this moment, Jesus is still silent. He's still not speaking up. He's still not defending himself. And in that, we remember, as Mike said last week, that he was attending to God's purposes. So we come to the decision. Time's up. It's time for you to tell me, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus, right? The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? They respond, Barabbas. Okay, we have stepped into madness. Barabbas, the rebel. Barabbas, a man who has brought sin, sorry, shame and disgrace to the Jews. Barabbas, the murderer, a man who should be prosecuted. Against all sense, the people cry out for the release of that notorious and guilty man. One commentator said, they preferred the man of violence to the man of love. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Right? Pilate's responding to their madness. He's like, what, am I, what, do, what do you want from me? What am I supposed to do with Jesus, who you all call the Christ? Okay, if you're willing to let this clearly guilty man go, what on earth could you possibly want done to this innocent Man, to this innocent Jesus. Someone at this presiding, please speak up for this innocent man. Speak up for Jesus. Unfortunately, no one does. We read, they all said, let him be crucified. Crucifixion, a method of execution that was meant for the worst of the worst. It was meant for guys like Barabbas, 
not for guys like Jesus. Brutal execution. Today we would call it cruel and unusual, which is such a funny phrase. Cruel and unusual. This is, a, this is bizarre that anyone would do this kind of thing to another person. The world literally has laws set up in place to prevent things like this from happening now. Pilate is blown away by this request. He says, why? What evil has he done? You hear the desperation in that? Why? What evil has this guy done? He knows Jesus is innocent, and he attempts to reason with this totally outlandish, unreasonable request. There's no way this guy has done anything at all to deserve that kind of treatment. But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. John Gill comments, the more they saw Pilate inclined to favor Jesus and pleaded for him and attested his innocence, the more clamorous, outrageous, and urgent they were to have him crucified. They were willing to exchange an innocent man for a guilty man. The man who healed the sick. It's exchanged for a murderer. The man of peace exchanged for a man of war. But as we've said this morning, Jesus is attending to God's purposes. We also must attend to God's purposes. See, Barabbas' guilt isn't really the only thing. We don't know a lot about him, but it's not the only thing that we can glean from him. So his name actually tells us something. Barabbas. It's like Bar-Abba, basically. Barabbas. It means son of the father. He was probably, potentially, the son of actually someone very important. Because often rabbis were called father. So that he was son of the father. He's potentially the son of a very important rabbi. Barabbas is son of the father. But Jesus, he's the son of the father. He's the son of the father. The guilty son of the father is exchanged for the innocent son of the father. Barabbas brought shame and dishonor to his father, to his nation, and to himself. Jesus Christ was attending to the purposes of his heavenly father to bring honor to his father and to bring many sons to glory, to establish a kingdom not of this world. From eternity past, the Father and the Son set in place a rescue plan, a plan to 
rescue all of creation, a plan to set the guilty free from sin, Satan, and death. The guilty son of the father was exchanged for the innocent son of the father. And the people with their angry cries for injustice could not change the purposes of God. Brothers and sisters, what are we to do as we witness this injustice? Because it is an injustice. The choice that people are making is in outrage. And yet, as Christ attended to his Father's will, we also must attend to the Father's purposes in this injustice. It's good news that God has purposes, even in injustice, because if he didn't, then we live in a hopeless and sick universe. We must attend to God's purposes in this because the result of the people's choices reveal God's purpose. So what is the result? We go on and we read, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather the riot, a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people respond, answered, his blood be on us and on our children. We have two responses, two responses to this decision. Pilate realizes just how little power he actually has in this moment. So he gives in. He gives in. He's like, you know what? You want to kill Jesus? That's on you. You take care of it. He walks over to a water basin, washes his hands, and says, I am innocent of this man's blood. You take care of it. Pilate claims to be innocent. But he isn't innocent. He's not. He's the one who opened up these presidings in the first place. He, out of anyone who had the power to just let Jesus go, it was Pilate. He could have acted justly. Instead, he was just a hypocrite with clean hands. The other response is that of the crowd. And we see that they make a very hasty and very foolish declaration, right? His blood be on us and on our children, right? If this man is actually innocent, we will bear the responsibility. We will bear the curse from Almighty God. Unfortunately, this statement has been misused in the history of the church. Right? We claim responsibility for some of these things. That there are Christians who took these verses to say, oh, okay, ethnic is real. It's cursed by God forever. So they, are, they deserve their comeuppance, Right? For all the abuse that they receive in all of history, they certainly deserve it. And worse yet, some people use this passage to justify outright anti-Semitism. 
I don't want to be flippant in the things that I say, but that's outrageous and stupid. There is zero room in the Christian religion for anti-Semitism. It's an evil, and it misunderstands God's saving purposes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. The first Christians in Jerusalem in the book of Acts were basically all Jewish. The first Christians were Jewish. They were ethnic Jews. And even Paul in Romans 11, which is definitely one of the most complicated passages in the whole Bible, but Paul in Romans 11, writing to a Gentile audience, says, hey, you guys, you're the wild olive branch grafted into what? The promises made to Abraham. So do not disregard your Jewish brothers and sisters. Because God's not doing something new with you. He's continuing what he's always been doing with all of his people. Zero room for anti-Semitism in the Christian religion. And anyways, in, this, in any case, how many people are thinking rationally during a riot? Probably not many, right? This is a hasty and foolish declaration. The crowd is clearly not thinking straight. And this small group also really doesn't represent an entire nation either. But there is guilt here. There is guilt here. They do bear responsibility for this evil choice. They don't fully comprehend what they're choosing, right? They're so convinced of their actions that they're willing to bear God's curse if he is innocent. Neither Pilate nor the people saw God's purposes in this prisoner exchange. The blood that Pilate washed his hands of and the blood that the people foolishly called down upon themselves and their children is the very blood that every man, woman, and child needs to stand forgiven before Almighty God. Jesus stood silent as he was exchanged for a guilty man so that the blood that was cried out for in wrath could cover a people in love. Jesus was willingly exchanged for a guilty man so that those who are guilty might be free. We see this. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Jesus was scourged. This word is a heavy word. It's like if uh, the U.S. said, like if we just said, if we said 9-11 and said nothing else, we'd be like a whole flood of things would just enter into our minds. Scourged is kind of like that word, right? It, it involved immense and brutal torture that preceded a crucifixion. Torture that was so bad 
that often it would just kill the person. They would just die. Wouldn't even have time to crucify them. They would just be dead. That's how bad this beating was about to be. And Jesus was sent to be beaten and whipped into a bloody pulp. Innocent Jesus was condemned. But guilty Barabbas was freed. Can we entertain this for a moment? We can't know exactly, right, because it's not in the text. We can't know exactly what Barabbas is thinking or even what becomes of him in the rest of his life. But can we just entertain this for a second? The guilty, rebellious murderer was freed. Was Barabbas aware of what was happening? Barabbas was expecting to die, but now he's free. I imagine for a moment Barabbas released from the clutches of his imprisoners. Let go to walk down and away from Pilate. He looks at this man who refused to defend himself. He looks at Jesus and he sees an innocent man. And he says to himself, it occurs to him, Jesus is receiving the beating that was meant for me. He's going to bear the cross that I deserved. Do you think it occurred to Barabbas? An innocent man has taken my place. Jesus is bearing the punishment meant for me. I was guilty. But now I'm free. Whether Barabbas realized it or not, we must. Jesus is bearing the punishment of the cross for us. Innocent Jesus, silent as he stood, accused and exchanged for a guilty man. Jesus Christ exchanged for guilty people. Jesus exchanged for us. Jesus has voluntarily exchanged himself to step into our place to bear our punishment. He was condemned so that we might be free. Friend, if you're here today and, and you don't know this Jesus, look at him now. He's the one who can set you free from the punishment that we deserve for our sins, guilt, and shame. We all know guilt and shame, don't we? We have guilt. We have shame. Not only before each other, but most prominently, most importantly, before God. And Jesus Christ, he is exchanged to set his people free from guilt and shame. If you don't know Jesus, please, I beg you, 
Don't just know this story, but believe it. Receive it. And trust that as Jesus was exchanged for that guilty prisoner, Jesus is exchanged for you. If you are a Christian here today, to those who believe and trust in Christ, what application do we have but to, as Barabbas perhaps did, but look from a distance and see the man bearing our punishment, bearing our sin, bearing our guilt and our shame so that we could be free. He endured human injustice to satisfy divine justice so that we could be freed. Is that not good news? Is that not good news to constantly talk about with one another? Screw the weather and sports. The latest Netflix show. These all, all these things are fine. And good friendships are built around common interest. But friends, brothers and sisters, we all have a common interest in the innocent man who bore our sin, our guilt, and our shame. So let's talk about it. Let's tell our neighbors about it. That Jesus bore sin, guilt, and shame that they might be freed. Friends, in Christ we stand innocent before the Father. We stand forgiven. We stand free. And as we're going to sing shortly, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Friends, the innocent was exchanged for the guilty so that the guilty can be free. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty and merciful Father, we thank you for your immeasurable mercy and grace found in our Lord Jesus Christ Though he knew no sin, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Receive the honor and the glory and the praise in all of these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.